My name is Leanna Denunzio. I am a student at the University of Rhode Island, and I am here with Alex Hackman. Hello, Hello. Alex. Hello. So nice to be with you today. Oh, wonderful to have you. Could you tell us what organization you work for and what your title is? I am a project manager for the Massachusetts Department of Fish and Game Division of Ecological Restoration. What is your education and training? I did receive training in ecology. I have a master's degree in aquatic ecology and watershed science from the University of Vermont. And I have a bachelor's degree of environmental studies and political science from Tufts University. How long have you been working in the field of restoration? I started here at DER 10 years ago. What other experiences did you have prior to working in restoration? I've been fortunate to have a number of, of interesting jobs along the way. I got my first job right out of school was with an environmental engineering firm. That involved hazardous waste assessment and cleanup work. Which I really enjoyed playing detective, trying to figure out where pollution is and how to clean it up. From there, I left the private sector and went to work for the state here in Massachusetts, the Department of Environmental Protection. In that same arena, but just from a regulatory perspective. So I did that for a couple of years, decided to be a snowboard bum, moved to California, and mission accomplished was a snowboard bum for about a year. But then uh, in this great little town in California, I moved to, ended up finding my way into a variety of environmental positions there, worked at a aquatic research laboratory, worked for town government for a number of years. So those were great experiences out there. Came back to the East, went to grad school, and then right out of grad school, started here 10 years ago. What kind of projects do you work on? Our shop does aquatic habitat restoration work. I work in rivers and I work in wetlands. In the river side, most of my projects involve dam removals. On the wetland side, you know, we're pretty strategic with where we choose to intervene across the landscape. So right now there's this big opportunity with retiring cranberry farms. So I'm currently managing a bunch of cranberry farm projects. We try to convert those back into natural wetlands. I'm leading an effort here to start a new program dedicated to doing that. Do you have any examples of some of these projects that you would like to highlight? An example, and also one of my favorite projects, was the first cranberry farm project they worked on. It's called the Eel River Headwaters Restoration Project in Plymouth. About a 40-acre bog that the town bought. I was assigned to this project really just when I started here. And so it was a really great learning opportunity for me. I was surrounded by extremely knowledgeable people who were willing to be mentors for me. And the project itself was just, it was the first of its kind. No one had ever done that here in Massachusetts. And so we had a lot to learn, a lot to think about. You know, a lot went right, a lot went wrong. So it's really served as a great place for learning. And in the eight years since it was completed, it's really turned out well. On the dam removal side, usually the ones that are my favorite projects typically involve the people that are involved with the project. We removed a dam called the Millie Turner Dam in Pepperell, and we had just a fantastic team. And I think that, for me, is what made that project special. You know, big dam in the middle of town, historically significant. Picture of the dam in the local pizza place. I mean, the whole community <laughs> knew about this dam, so... The project involved many public meetings, conversation with the community. The local Trout Unlimited chapter was heavily involved, as were uh, colleagues from my sister division. So it just ended up being a really great bunch of folks working together on this effort. So it combined land protection and dam removal, river restorations, and it was in the center of town, kind of a high visibility spot. Yeah. And it's turned into a, a nice spot for public enjoyment today. Just out there a few <laughs> weeks ago, and I saw the local painting club was set up. Uh right by the dam and right on the bench that we built out of the dam. So those are the kind of things that make for a favorite project for me is having to be meaningful for the local community.
What kinds of expertise does it take to accomplish a successful restoration project? There are basically four things I want to talk about. The first, I think, is not so much expertise, but personal characteristics that I think make for successful projects. The first is humility. I think it's important to understand what we don't know and that what we think we know today, we may find out later is not correct. Stemming from that is a very important second personal characteristic, which I would call curiosity. And it kind of goes hand in hand with humility. You know, if you appreciate that there's much that we don't know, one can be motivated to find out then what you don't know. And so that always happens on these projects. There's always stuff that you need to learn and figure out. Humility and curiosity are key ingredients to any successful project. In terms of the expertise required beyond those personal characteristics, the first arena of expertise, I would say, needs to be people skills. You know, all these projects involve people's relationship with the natural world, how it's been altered by people, and how, as people, we intend to try to repair it. To be a good listener is required. And also key is being able to explain complicated material in as simple terms as possible. There is certainly scientific knowledge and expertise that is helpful. The most important thing I would say is having an interdisciplinary perspective and being able to utilize a breadth of knowledge across a variety of disciplines, whether it's hydrology or fluvial geomorphology or toxicology or biology. These projects involve weaving together different disciplines into an overall perspective of what's happening. Lastly, Beyond that breadth, depth of understanding is also helpful. For many in that field, that means drilling down very deeply into a particular organism and its role in the natural world. From my perspective, the depth of knowledge that's particularly helpful in these projects and in this work is a systems perspective of how nature writ large functions. What are the biggest scientific gaps that we need to fill in order to improve restoration efforts? The scientific gap that is the most obvious right now is understanding the pace and intensity of climate change. So very practically, climate change considerations are already woven into our work in the aquatic realm. I'm talking more about zooming out in the bigger picture. You know, how long till the ocean arrives? How long till some of the things that we're doing now are no longer feasible or are not worth doing? How long till we need to shift our focus to new kinds of quote-unquote restoration that we're not, at least in, in, in the folks I interact with, we're not really thinking about yet? That big unknown right now is, you know, so how, how fast is that going to happen and how intense is it going to happen? I think we definitely have a practice gap too, which is I'd like to see practitioners doing a better job of linking actions to an understanding of how nature works and then specifically mapping out how restoration act actions are intended to help repair underlying processes that make for healthy systems. Restoration means a lot of things to a lot of people right now, and the field in general would benefit from clear articulation on a project-by-project -project basis about why you're doing what you're doing and how that's gonna result in system-level improvements. What have your biggest challenges been while doing <laughs> a restoration project? the biggest challenge is funding. You know, right now, our division is only doing, as I said before, a few kinds of projects because we know they're very helpful. We know that removing dams from rivers is very good for a river. And we know there are thousands of dams in Massachusetts that likely could be removed because they're no longer being used. But we don't have the money to do it. So we can do just a few a year. So that's one example of how it's just simply having more funding would allow us to have more of an impact in the natural world. I recently had a chance to hear E.O. Wilson talk about his new book, Half Earth. And during his talk, he also talked uh, quite a bit about 
the imbalance in funding in our contemporary society. Tidmarsh Farms, for example, which was the largest freshwater wetland project ever in Massachusetts, which we just completed, that was $3.5 million. And that restored about 200 acres of, of wetlands in a coastal community. I would say that's a very good deal. We will spend that amount of money without thinking about it on a new bridge on a small roadway. You know, but that magnitude of funding for a restoration project seems out of place still. So, you know, for me, I'd love to see a future in which there's a little bit more balance in our spending priorities. It, yeah, that'd be great. How do you think ecological restoration can promote ecosystem resilience under global climate change? My perspective on it is this, that when we do our work well, what we have done is establish or reestablish conditions for natural systems to be dynamic. And if we are successful and systems can self-adjust and be dynamic, then when climate change happens and some of the drivers of ecosystem structure and function like precipitation rainfall runoff events, changes, then systems should be able to adjust on their own if, if we've done our job. I was very influenced by a small and very elegant paper by uh, Terence Dawson and colleagues from the United Kingdom in 2010 that talked about complex adaptive systems and what it takes to be dynamic so that they're self-sustaining in the future. So this term sustainability to me is a lot better than resiliency. In that's this in Dawson's framework, resiliency is just one one of four characteristics of a dynamic system. You know, resiliency is really about bouncing back from a, a shock, you know, a short-term pulse event. So that's great, but that's not the whole story. You know, we have external stresses, there are internal set stresses, they are short-term, they are long-term. Like I said, I think resilience is just one piece of that. So how we keep systems sustainable moving forward, I think, is a, a more accurate way of framing it. And just thinking about system dynamism, I would say, is a, is a good place to start. What advice do you have for students or recent graduates hoping to work in the field of restoration? So the advice I would have, first of all, is to do it. The planet really needs a lot of help. And I'm hopeful that this field continues to expand. It certainly will expand in need over time. So I would encourage students interest in this field to try to maintain that interdisciplinary perspective and appreciate the larger system. So whether that's taking coursework in landscape ecology, having a way to weave the narrative into a whole, to me is, is a really thoughtful way of trying to get into this field. But also the interpersonal skills, you know, I think those are very important to evolve in parallel with your scientific practice. Very good advice, advice that I will definitely keep in mind. <laughs> thank you for doing this and for spreading the word about SCR. And a big thank you to Alex Hackman for, for giving us this interview today. Woo!